Food forest enthusiast, and not only an enthusiast, but he um, designs permaculture systems and installs them uh, various different places. People's yards, schools, uh, universities, community centers, etc. And so basically what that means is he will help you turn your uh, useless lawn into a garden of Eden, as he likes to put it, and um, meaning an abundant source of food, medicinal herbs, uh, you know, fruit trees, all of these different things. So, and the idea behind the permaculture system, if you're not aware already, it's basically just utilizing your environment in a way uh, to create a sustainable functioning system as if it were a natural forest or landscape, not a garden that you need to uh, constantly be watering and planting and taking care of, but a system that basically just takes care of itself. You plant certain trees in certain areas to provide shade for other plants. You uh, provide, you know, herbs that help give nutrients to other plants, you mulch things to, um, you know, um, keep things moist to capture rain, you know, you, you set the whole system up to function with the least amount of uh, human maintenance as possible. Um, and then within that, you can still plant your own garden where you're planting veggies, you know, every year and doing different things along those lines. Um, But essentially the idea is to turn this lawn that we spend money mowing, uh, buy gas for our mowers, we put weed killers and chemicals and things that poison our water and do things just to have a plain green lawn that most of us don't spend any time in whatsoever to turn that into something that can feed you and uh, provide um, food not only to you, but potentially even to others. And he talks about um, some people who, you know, grow more than enough food for their own family and also sell food to other people off of a very small amount of land, off of a small, like, lot, a yard, you know. Um, So anyways, it's a very... um, very interesting interview. It's a very fascinating subject uh, that I'm really passionate about. Um, and Jim's a really passionate guy. And uh, we go deep on some of the things that kind of pushed him into this field. Um, you know, looking for solutions, some of the darker darker aspects of, of life that kind of inspired him to want to to move towards the light and find solutions and some of it is kind of dark and heavy so um if any of that doesn't resonate with you for whatever reason take what's inspiring about the podcast and take the the positive messages and the uh, overall information about uh, food forests and um, food sovereignty and 
and take that and leave the rest if it's if it's not serving you. So, so I hope you enjoy this interview with Jim Gale and um, let me know what you think. All right, well, cool. I say we just kick it right off then. How's that sound? Let's do it. All right. So maybe since we're just talking about where you're at um, in Florida there and being from Minnesota, mm-hmm. I'd love to just get a little bit of a background of sort of, um, you know, what brought you to this point, uh, the highlights. Um, so what brought me to this point, I sorry, I'm playing with this thing. I'm Like I said, I'm not a tech guy. Um, so what brought me to this point, I'm going to start where I took the red pill. I started understanding that there are poison producers in our world. You know, I used to, I'm such an optimist that I would always look at all the good in the world. And I, and that's a beautiful way to live. But I also was unaware that there were people that were trying to destroy our world. And intentionally they've been caught, they've been sued, they've been convicted. And they're still doing it. In fact, recently, um, Bear, I believe it was Bear Monsanto, was sued for billions of dollars, and they had one stipulation in paying the lawsuit that they could keep the glyphosate on the frickin' shelf. Like, that's mind-bogglingly insane. So when I started realizing that, I took a couple years to go down that rabbit hole, and it was a shitty couple of years, you know, when you start looking at problems, you start feeling and empathizing and sympathizing and doing all these things where your vibration, my vibration, lowered during those years. And I started acting different and feeling different. I was that guy that would be like, my, my dad would be like, Jim, you're crazy. There's no way that's true. And, you yeah. know, people, a lot of people in my life were saying, Jim, you just went off the deep end. I came back around. I came out of that understanding that if we focus on the solutions, we win. And how do we do that? It's vibration. The core of everything is our vibrational energy and relationship with this world that we we've created for ourselves. Right. Yeah. And so I started focusing on the solutions and ever since then it has led to where I am now. And I wouldn't change a thing because we have the solutions to the biggest problems of our world and we're demonstrating them on a daily basis and it's spreading like wildfire. Yeah. So that sounds great. I love, I love your whole theme there and your message. Um, so from a real, you know, specific kind of, um, approach where, you know, before you took your red pill, so to speak, you know, what were you doing with your life? What was your career? What's your education been like? I mean, were you always into uh, gardening or foraging or anything related to like acquiring your own food? Or, you know, what 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 was the past, you know, the prior gym like? I love it. I love it. So um, they call me nature boy growing up. I could not get enough of digging under rocks and catching salamanders. I mean, I had frogs sometimes. I, I have frogs in my pocket. Like I was one of those completely nerdy kids, right? That my only magazine subscription of my life was Ranger Rick. I had, I had animals on my wall, right? My friends teased me, called me nature boy, but I loved every bit of what, 
you could call it source or nature or God, you know, all those things to me are the same thing. Yeah. It's, it's an, a vibrational foundation to our universe and I, I was attached to it. Um, then I traveled quite a bit. I, uh, I wrote my goals and this is kind of a relevant thing. I wrote my goals for the first time in my life when my coach, Dr. Gary Rushing, I was a wrestler and he said to the whole team, write your goals. And it was Friday afternoon when we got this goal sheet. He said, by Monday, I want you to have these goals on my desk. And I was like, oh God, more paperwork. I hated school. I, I'm farsighted, which is kind of a metaphor for how I see the world. I don't focus in on the micro details. I love focusing in on the big picture. It's part of my constitution. It's part of just who I am. And so um, when, I, when I was told to write those goals, I'm like, oh gosh. But anyway, as I started writing on Sunday night, because I was a procrastinator in a big way, um, something clicked in my mind and I started to dream. And I started to dream that I could be a good wrestler. Previous to that, I didn't even place in the state tournament as a senior before college. And in college, state champions, state placers, they're a dime a dozen. Most people were state placers in college. So I wrote my goals and the person who showed up Monday morning for practice and the person who left Friday night were very different people. Mm. Because now I had an inspired vision of the future that pulled me. And I ended up being a four-time All-American and national champ, was inducted in the National Hall of Fame. But the thing that I was most honored by was uh, one of my teammates, his name is Doug James. He, when it came time to nominate the captain of the team, he raised his hand and nominated me. And I was a freshman in college. Um, I was a redshirt freshman, so I was like 20 years old, but still that was a big moment for me because I realized that I inspired people mm -hmm. and I had to live up to that as well. So all that combined, I, um, after college, I went to move to Hawaii, lived there for four years, bartended, partied like nuts and had a blast, but that got old, right? Mm -hmm. I was like 25 to 29 and I wrote, I, then I got a backpack and I moved to, uh, first to, Bond, Australia. Well, I moved to Sydney, mm. bought a car, started driving on the left side of the road right near the big Coke sign in the middle of the town, which is not a good idea, my friends. <laughs> um, and then I drove up the coast. I had a backpack. I didn't know where I was going to go. And I stopped in a bunch of towns and I was still kind of ending the party stage of my life. And I found Surfer's Paradise, which is this party spot on the beach. Um, I started at the backpack Packers, like youth hostels. And anyway, long story short, I ended up uh, getting a job when nobody said I could. I bartended there and I went every day to Bond University. And this was a big thing that I want to convey to people. There are experts in every field that you're passionate about. If you're passionate about a certain field, there's a book called uh, Think and Grow Rich written by Napoleon Hill. And this book is so packed with wisdom that all of the great speakers of today this book is one of their foundational books of their life. So I started reading and studying the masters, the greats, Tony Robbins and Ziegler and Jim Rohn and Dennis Whaley, one of my all-time favorites. And I started dreaming again. And I, again, wrote my goals. I wrote, I want to be, uh, be retired in three years, right? It took me three and a half. I ended up, the universe has a magical way of aligning 
when you believe your own thoughts, mm-hmm. right? And when you don't put barriers and blockages between what you can do and what you hope you can do, right? When you just believe and you have faith. Yeah. That And that's a foundational word too, is how we, it's a clue in this divine game of life. How do we win this game? We have to start with faith and courage. And I had all that. I don't know where I got it from, but I had it. And then, you know, I, I after selling the mortgage company, I lived on the ocean for a year, just bought a 42 foot motor yacht. Um, dro- I didn't know anything about yachting or boating, didn't know anything about the ocean or mechanics. I just started driving the boat. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Almost crashed several times. Um, and then I got very bored with that. And that's when I found Costa Rica. Mm. And while in Costa Rica, oh my gosh, 12 years there, I had so many lessons in life that I needed to learn to be where I'm sitting now. And that's why I learned about permaculture. Mm. Um, permaculture is when I started diving into the science of permaculture, I learned that we are destroying our world on many, many levels. But here's the most important part. The we is not led by you and I. It's not led by everybody listening to this podcast. The we is led by a small group of people who manufacture and produce poisons Mm that infiltrate every level of our society. And I'm talking about our minds, our stomachs, our pineal glands with the fluoride, glyphosate in the soil, and the chemicals that are in the skies to block off the sun. And every one of these things is for the common good. Hmm. Yeah, I want to dive more into that in a minute here. Um, So... I'm curious about Costa Rica. How did you find, how did you come across permaculture in Costa Rica? And where did that coincide with the red pill, you know, moment? Did you, had had you known about permaculture before you started going, getting kind of depressed and in this dark uh, spot? Or did that come after? I'm kind of curious there. It all happened at the same time. Okay. The economy was clapped crashing around the world it was 2007 8 Mm. my economy was crashing everything this is how it happens by the way this is the law of attraction in full force which is the most powerful law in the universe when you understand how one thought precedes another thought precedes another thought it literally creates the life we live and that's something i keep trying to contemplate how does that all work it's fascinating so everything was crashing around the world um and I was having a tough relationship that was exploding. All these different things were happening in my life. And when I started studying that science, it became more clear as to what the solutions were. In fact, this was one of the most relevant moments, probably the most pivotal moment for my transition from red pill studying the problem to focusing on the solution. Oh, and this one gets me emotional. I've been talking about it. Um, Bill, I read Bill Molson's quote. Though the problems of our world are increasingly complex, the solutions remain embarrassingly simple. Mm-hmm. And it just exploded for me. We have to start focusing on the solutions. We have to, instead of using violence and force, which is this propaganda, communism, socialism paradigm, This is the age of enlightenment, the age of Aquarius, the apocalypse, which means lifting the veil, 
This is the time for us to share regenerative. Um, I'm going to turn my phone around. There we go. Regenerative paths forward through capitalism, mm. which is the voluntary and peaceful exchange of value. You know, and so that's what I started focusing. And I thank God for Bill Wilson. He won the Right Living Award. Phenomenal human being. He passed a, a couple years back. Mm. Um, but he really shined a light along with David Holmgren and Jeff Lawton mm-hmm. and thousands more around the world. So how did you stumble a- a- upon the permaculture knowledge and start studying it? Did somebody, yes. did you know somebody? That- yes, no criticism. I love it. <laughs> so this guy, uh, this, no, not this guy. This, these two women were um, local environmentalists. They, they weren't from Costa Rica. They're from here in the U.S., but they were very um, adamant environmentalists. And they were criticizing my work in Costa Rica because I was a developer. Mm. And they were basically very loudly saying that I was a horrible human being, that I was destroying the earth. And that hurt me. I was like, what are you talking about? I'm taking this cattle pasture and creating a the first thing we built was a fruit tree nursery so we could line all of the fairways of the golf course that I was building with fruit trees and have no poisons, no chemicals, and just turn it into an ecological paradise. Now, I still think that that's a relatively good idea compared to the cattle pasture that was there. In fact, I know it is, but I understood their point after a while. Now, my goal was to convince them to actually advocate for the, the the development and they they said no way in hell they beat the heck out of me but you know the best place to get true advice is through your critics mm. now you have to take it with a grain of salt and you have to use discernment to understand if it's really just meant to hurt or if there's a true a bit of wisdom that yeah. is in that um that criticism and that's what i love looking for where's the wisdom in the criticism Yeah, I love that because, I mean, it's so easy. It seems like so many people these days and, you know, myself included at times, obviously, I think we all do this, but it's so easy to, when somebody does something that is annoying you or offends you, it's so easy to think that if they would just stop doing this, then everything would be okay. But it's like, that's the place where you need to look inside because it's annoying you or offending you because of something internally in you. It's not them. Um, So I love that. And I also love what you're saying about focusing on the solutions because, you know, I've been going through this for a while where just, you know, it's so easy to focus on what you don't want to happen, but all you're doing is putting the energy into the thing that you don't like. Where if once you start to shift the energy towards something you actually do want, you can create an alternative. You know, it's like the Buckminster Fuller quote of, um, you know, you don't change, what is it? You don't change your reality by fighting against it. You you change it by creating a, a whatever it is. A, a, a new reality. A new one you, that makes the old one obsolete, basically. Yes, um, you nailed it. You nailed so, just like Einstein's quote, which, which is the same basic premise, is... is uh, you, you, yeah, you can't change um, reality by the same thinking that created it. You yeah. have to rise above it. Exactly. We're, we're, we're butchering the quotes, but the meaning comes across. Right. And, <laughs> and, 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 you know, I mean, it's definitely, I think, 
helpful to inform ourselves and kind of be willing to look at the darkness and to go down. I think that red pill experience you're talking about is happening to a lot of people right now, and it's a necessary part of the journey. So, you know, I think we need to give people their space and patience to go through that. But at the same time, it's like, you know, to, to show people that after you get through that, that's a temporary phase. And once you get through that, you know, I think we'll always check back in to see what's going on and see, you yeah. know, see some of the dark things we may have missed or whatever. But, you know, it really be it's it's so much more useful to find, you know, a way to contribute to a new paradigm and a new reality versus just spending all our time trying to point out all the bad things that so and so are doing. Um, so maybe Very well but maybe before we get into your full on, you know, what you're doing now and, and how permaculture really took off for you and inspired you. Maybe we could just go down that uh, red pill rabbit hole just for a, just for a brief moment. Yeah, I'm kind of, you know, you, you already mentioned some of it. I've been hearing so much stuff about glyphosate that I never knew over the past year to um, Zach Bush has been a great resource for that. And maybe you could just dive in a little bit to some of the stuff that you learned and some of the problems that we are facing. Okay. So I'm going to go all the way to the far edge let's, of my, let's do it. my understanding of this. Now, first of all, I'm always willing, not only willing to be wrong, but I love when I realize the real eyes that I am wrong because instantly it elevates me to a new level, a deeper level, a more holistic level of understanding of things. Mm. So I'm going to go all the way to the edge. We are God. We are spirit. And this is our game. This is the game of life. The Hindus call it Leela, the divine game. And there is life and the uh, there's live and the opposite of live, evil. There is sustainable and unsustainable. Mm. All unsustainable systems fail. And... When you put this all in the same soup and mix it around, it's very obvious that there are entities out there that are focusing on, they have the vibrational reality of it's an unsustainable path, it's death. And then there are entities out there, you know, the human race, the, the nature, all this wonderful stuff, if we let it be, it thrives, right? And then if we actually design it, then we've got the Garden of Eden. In fact, there's clues everywhere. I love this clue of faith and courage, right? Because um, I think it was David Hawkins Mm. who wrote Power Versus Force. Phenomenal book about understanding our vibrational reality from an emotional standpoint. The emotions that they're portraying on the news media, they want people to live in shame and fear and in rage because those are unsustainable. And this is medically proven, right? When you live in fear, you die. It's the withdrawal of the spirit of God, of the self. So it's all one big, amazing game that goes together. And then when we focus on faith and courage Mm. and joy and love, we thrive. Right. So it's our job to inspire. And this is why I was so honored by Dell, his amazing team of incredibly inspired and wonderful people, how they saw this as an opportunity to shed the light on a path forward. And when we as a society 
bring our energy up to the faith and courage and in spirit. I mean, that's a great clue, right? Mm-hmm. The energy of entheosiasm, enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. Boom. We now go towards the Garden of Eden. Now, the poison producers, they are very, very openly trying to kill us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like they say it. I mean, Bill Gates' dad was head of Planned Parenthood. You know, he volunteered to be on a board that killed 30 to 50 million, maybe more babies before they came into the world. Yep. Like, how do you volunteer to be on that board unless you have an agenda, a reason for doing so? Now, I can't speak to the difference between like a real evil or a psychopathic evil, yeah. like just which prolonged destructive ignorance can be called evil. I mean, it's death, right? It, it, it destroys. So however you call that, and I'm still playing with the understanding of that. The truth, the fact is that these folks are trying to and succeeding at killing the spirit through fear and killing the soil through the use of poisons that came from the war. And these things were manufactured by war manufacturers, Mm -hmm. who, by the way, were all controlled by the same families throughout history. People nowadays were so arrogant at times. And again, this is part of the programming to believe that now, we are beyond the Constitution. We are beyond the governmente controlling our minds. Govern means magic control and mente is mind. We're not beyond that. We're just, everybody thinks they're beyond that. But I think it was Goethe who said, the best kind of slave, it, or none are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe they are free. Mm, wow, that's a heavy one. I want to touch on a couple things there. One, I want to say for anybody who is uh, feeling like, um, you know, because people are so easily uh, triggered by certain things and and can tune out so easily. And I want to say for anybody who didn't already shut this off and might have been like, oh, God, this is just too much. This is crazy. Just stick in there because regardless of what you think about any of that, stuff or any red pill stuff like the solution is the same no matter what no matter what you think the problem is the the solution that you're providing works for basically everything demonstrated and so another thing i want to say is um i'm really uh i love what you're doing with these words and breaking down the words and the etymology of these little you know phrases like where where did you pick up on that sort of stuff so in school, it, I, back in the day, they were like the SAT test, the PSAT test and stuff. I'm 51. And back in those days, I would have, I, I can't believe I passed any classes in English or literature and so on because I wasn't inspired to read any of that stuff. I didn't know the reason. There was no why. Yeah. Right? Nobody sold me on why I should read any of that. And what was the excitement that was happening in my mind? was so much more profound than this book or listening to that teacher that I just ignored all of it and I just daydreamed. Hmm. But something clicked over when I started writing my goals later in life. Um, in fact, I remember the moment um, we were driving. I, I was a part of a network marketing company called Omnitrition, and we were driving, listening to Dennis Waitley to an event. We were driving from Minnesota to Texas, so it was a long drive. Okay. And it blew my mind that I had not learned any of this information my whole life. I was like, this is insane. This is the most important information. What kind, what kind of stuff is he talking about? Dennis Whaley wrote The Psychology of Winning, 
back, I believe, in the 70s and 80s. Um, and it's basically about how the mind works and human performance and what's possible and things that blow away our medical paradigm today. Mm-hmm. And so when I started learning what's possible, I started, uh, oh, I started reading. And I went from, like, lately I've taken several tests, like these silly online pop-up tests where they give a bunch of words. Sure. And I get them all right, and which is just mind-blowing mind in itself. So that's where I love to read and to listen. Instead of listening to the radio all day long, I listen to everybody from Eckhart Tolle to Abraham Hicks and all the greats. Mm, awesome. So, um, yeah, I, you know... What you're saying, I resonate a lot with, um, you know, these these darker forces and people that are uh, really knowingly. I mean, there's there's far there's far and away more than enough evidence to show how destructive and detrimental these chemicals. Uh, if we're going to even just stick with these these chemicals, pesticides, herbicides. There's more than enough evidence to show how terrible they are, not only for the soil, but for the environment, for our health as people. Um, And so at this point, willful ignorance is borderline not even an an excuse anymore. I mean, there are certain people like farmers and things that are using them that probably don't know yet. But these companies that are producing them, they obviously understand how damaging they are. So... One thing I do like to remember, though, for myself is, um, you know, I agree with you that we are all God and we're kind of in this um, almost like a half play experience, half learning experience, like a school or something. Um, And it does feel like ultimately from the farthest zoomed out perspective possible that even the most evil people are still some reflection of a part of us deep down, you know, where there's still some way that we can reflect on ways that we're contributing to that energy in some form. And we can always kind of try to work with it in that way as sort of an aspect of our shadow or something. I love it. And it's a vibrational reality. So it's fun. It's joyful to inspire and to lift people up, not being attached to them being lifted up because that's where we get screwed, Mm. right? When, if they continue to be mad and then we get mad because they get mad, (laughs) well then we haven't raised up our vibration enough to really detach from other people's energies and vibrations. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, okay, well, this is a good, good uh, point then I think to start to really dive into what it is you're doing now. Um, So you learned about Uh, permaculture in Costa Rica and kind of got obsessed with it. And where did that take you then? It took me to planting thousands of fruit trees in communities in Costa Rica and learning the process. Again, there's different in Costa Rica. One of the, um, the the tenants is um, enjoy and bring in um, diversity, right? Diversity in thought, diversity in structure, diversity is resiliency in our in our system you know having one monoculture is unsustainable unnatural and when you add poisons to it then it becomes a complete tool of enslavement a control mechanism so um i started really diving into it from a very holistic point of view and a very kind of my goal is to affect 
the world. My goal, because as I I live as Napoleon Hill, um, if you can conceive it and believe it, you can achieve it. Mm -hmm. I can conceive of, demonstrate, and absolutely know that we are going to change the world, that we are going to help do our small, our small but huge part. Now, when I say small, um, the pioneers in this industry of permaculture have proven it everywhere. Permaculture has become a lot like veganism, a lot like religion, a lot like different structures where some people are in that structure in a controlling fashion. Mm. They're in it because of fear and anger and shame. And so they try to demand that you do it their way. And Bill Molson tells this great story. He's on a bus going to one of his permaculture jobs. And there's a lady on the bus, doesn't even know it's Bill Molson. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh my gosh, they're using backhoes. I guess they forgot what permaculture is. <laughs> because that's how, that's how structures get. When you give a name to it and put a chief to it and organize it, yeah. then there will be people that try to control it because there's two different forms of getting things done. There's allowing and controlling. Mm. Controlling is based in fear. Allowing is based in faith. And so when we try to control, which is what a lot of folks in the world are doing right now, that's, that is force and violence. So my job is to convey this message that capitalism, which is the peaceful and voluntary exchange of value. And I'm talking about real capitalism where you exchange something because somebody else wants to exchange it back. That is the foundation of the world that we have to, that we have to create. I hate the word have to like, forget that word. Um, That is the world that we want to inspire. Yeah. Is this world where we voluntarily provide value for each other and we pay each other with a smile on our face. Thank you for providing this value for me. Yeah. So this is the structure that we are creating. There's no contracts. There's no, um, there's no long. I mean, in fact, I spent quarter million bucks getting an, uh, a franchise document operations, all this 250 pages of bullshit. And I threw it out. My job is, I got one job in the world. My job is to make the link between the proven demonstrators of our world, the Chad Johnsons and Jeff Lawtons and Spiracles and Nicholas Bertner and Pete Canaris and all these wonderful people and to shine a light on them. That's my job. And then to create the organization, the structure by inspiring people to join that shine the light on more and more and more. And as we scale this, and I like playing with words, as you know. Um, my, my last name is Gail. Mm-hmm. Like people have lit this fire all over the world. My job is to blow that fire everywhere. The fire <laughs> of freedom. Yes, that is excellent. Um, I was going to say something as you were talking there, or something you brought something to my mind, and now I'm just kind of trying to um, recover what that was. Um, Uh, it's not coming to me, but anyways, um, I'll, I'm sure I'll think of it once I start asking capitalism, something else. Oh, capitalism, day. yes. Um, you know, the interesting thing to me is there's really a lot of uh, vitriol towards capitalism right now for, I think, for, you know, for some understandable reasons. But I think what I notice is um, something that I don't feel like gets talked about much or or the nuance of it doesn't get explained is that a lot of what we seemingly is going wrong about capitalism is actually like socialism for the rich. 
is that there's these massive subsidies and tax evasion things and different ways that like the super rich aren't playing by the actual capitalism game they're in a different game you know it's rugged capitalism for the poor and you know socialism for the rich and so it's not quite as simple as capitalism is bad and some other form of <laughs> you know commerce is good it's I don't know if you can speak to that at all, but I absolutely can speak to that. So Thomas Jefferson wrote the tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. It is its natural manure. Now that speaks exactly to what we're talking about here. What you're talking about when people rise up and then they start trying to control that is not capitalism. That is, and that's what the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence are all speaking to the same thing, is allow, forget the control. We do not want a government a controlling anything. We want to allow the human spirit, the human ingenuity to thrive. And there's so many BS programmed ideas about capitalism. And that's why I speak to capitalism quite a bit. And that's why I'm so out there. I mean, I'm a regenerative entrepreneur. An entrepreneur, there's no level in my business, there's no level of violence and force. It's pure, mm -hmm. willful, voluntary exchange of value on every level. If you don't want to do it, great. Hey, maybe I can inspire you to do it if I get better at what I do, if I can demonstrate to you how it's going to benefit you, because there's no other perspective than the perspective of self. Everything we do is because we think we're going to feel better in the doing of it. Everything we have is because we think we're going to feel better in the having of it. Mm. So this is the energy of complete allowing and complete freedom that the Constitution is founded in. And let's take it to the next level. It's a vibrational thing. we got to raise our vibrations. And there's, there's two things. It's what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Well, what comes first, the food forest, regenerative local agriculture, or a strong vibration? Well, it doesn't matter which one comes first. <laughs> right. The other one will automatically fall. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, you know, capitalism looks very different if the intention is different, you know, like what you're doing obviously has an intention to regenerate, to feed, to provide, to be in harmony with nature, all of these things. That's if you're making a profit off of that to sustain your living and reinvest into your company in different avenues and all of these things, that's the outcome in my estimation is 100% different than, you know, somebody who's got a, uh, chemical agriculture company that's providing, you know, you know what I mean? I do. Profiting off of people to, you know, rape the land for lack of a better term and uh, really just destroy things. Um, it's control grid number one, because now they're creating seeds that are bastards of nature that do not reproduce. And I hate to even use that term because yeah. um, these seeds that do not reproduce a new seed is the most ridiculous thing. Um, it's unsustainable to the max. It's death of that life chain. And it's a control mechanism that we have to expose the idiocracy of and we have to do it differently. Yeah. So let's dive into exactly what permaculture is. What's the whole, I mean, you know, I'm familiar with it. 
And I, I'm hoping that a lot of people who listen to this have at least heard of it and understand a little bit. But for people who haven't and for people who just want a deeper understanding, what's it all about? Permaculture is a regenerative agricultural design science. So what does that mean? It means that when you mimic natural design and then you do so in a way that benefits humanity, you're building soil and you're building life. You're providing a foundation for life to expand instead of contract. And by the way, this 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 whole thing going on, this is simply a divine natural way. Like in, in other words, we would not be asking new questions if there was not contrast. Mm -hmm. So the contrast that we're experiencing, the yin and the yang, the black and the white, these different things that people use to separate us, this is just ways for us to create friction, which is to create a little bit of heat, a little bit of energy to ask new ideas and to expand our consciousness. And that's what this whole game is all about, is about expanding the vibration, the consciousness of what we truly are at the core. Yeah. So the, you know, the, the tenets of permaculture sound beautiful, the regeneration, the, um, you know, what are some of the things that make permaculture different from say, uh, you know, your average regenerative agriculture practices as far as no tilling and cover crops and, you know, more of these large scale regenerative systems, what's different about permaculture? Hello friends, if you would like to support this podcast, Wake Aware Alive, head over to jacobgossel.com. That's G-O-S-S-E-L. Uh, scroll to the bottom of the page and you can find a handful of ways to support the show. Uh, the first one is Patreon. You can click on the Patreon button and you can become a patron of this podcast. For a small monthly fee, as little as one buck, you can help support the show and you'll get some exclusive content and interaction with me. Um, another way to support the show is the PayPal Venmo buttons or the cryptocurrency keys. You can use any of these to send a one-time donation to Awake Aware Alive and this really helps keep the show going. Um, lastly, you can share this episode with a friend and you can leave a rating and a review on the Apple Podcast app or uh, any app that allows ratings or reviews. This is a small thing, but it's really meaningful to me and it makes a big difference. Lastly, I just want to thank you for listening to this show because uh, that in and of itself is a huge support. So I hope you enjoy the rest of this episode with Jim Gale from Food Forest Abundance. 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 I wouldn't say different. I would say if it's a system, that creates more energy than it takes to create and maintain mm -hmm. for the system. If it's a system that's an energy net positive, then it fits in alignment with the idea of permaculture. And permaculture is a decentralized idea. Yeah. And a lot of the time when people put a name to something and a structure to something, then they're trying to compete with it. Yes. And permaculture is just a word. Right. It's just a word that conveys this meaning of are we going to live or die? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's at the end of the day, yeah. are we going to live or die? Are we going to choose regenerative, sustainable? And that word's been so corrupted. Eco, green, all these words have been corrupted and adopted by the poison producers. And then they say, this is the way to go. And then they get people to follow them, right? Down that path of death, of unsustainability, of fear. Well, 
the truth about it is when you look at the tenets and the demonstrations of permaculture all over the world, it's really the next logical step. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, a big theme in, I, I love what you're saying because, you know, I think I just love that idea of keeping it more general and in being inclusive, keeping all of these ideas in one thing and not getting too divisive within the movement itself because now I see a lot of people criticizing regenerative agriculture because of this thing or criticizing permaculture because of this thing and it's like we're all on the same team here really what it seems to be about is observing nature working with nature keeping things in harmony making systems sustainable and you know putting energy yeah. towards creating more biodiversity, more life, you know, yeah. just increasing all of that. So I love what you're saying. Um, how did that work out for you as far as you, so you're doing all these fruit trees in Costa Rica and then, you know, where did you take that? How did you get into making this um, like really what your life is all about and, and kind of working with people to design their own systems and all of this? So a lot of contrast, right? Mm. A lot of pain, a lot of missteps, a lot of trying to go a certain direction based on an energy because I was still kind of coming out of that energy of loss. I just lost $19 million that I oh, wow. made from scratch, right? And it's, you know, I lost is the wrong word. I invested in my education a lot of money and I wouldn't take back a penny of it because that investment was what led me to the understanding you know, they say the dark night of soul and all these things, that kind of experience really gets you to ask new questions and gets you to kind of wipe out the, um, the ego, the way that negative people are saying, because we are ego, we are self, we are who we are, right? Yeah. I'm this Jim Gale avatar playing this role in this experience of life and connected to the bigger source. And I do want to jump in with one thing is meditation was the key for me to transition from that experience of lack, of trying to control and hold on to what I was losing. And as soon as I just allowed and let it go and had faith, it's just magical what's happening now. Mm, yeah. So where are you at now? I see your Food Forest Abundance shirt that you've got on. I'm going to, you know, I know we didn't even touch on that yet but I, I plan on putting an intro in here so people know what you're about before they even dive into this but now you've got this company where day in and day out you're helping people design permaculture systems for what their backyards I mean how what's yes. so give me the details got, of what's what's an uh, everyday experience like for you Thank you, Jacob. I love it. Um, it's funny because I, I don't promote the company hardly at all. You can tell it's just not first thing on my mind. First thing on my mind is inspiring people to have a new thought, to plant a seed and to express that the Garden of Eden is, is planted within all of our psychologies for a reason because that is winning the game. Right. When we create that. So my company is Food Forest Abundance. It's foodforestabundance.com. And we are currently designing and installing food forests all over the world. We've got like six countries that are going forward with food forest designs. We got backyards. We've got schools. We got boys and girls clubs. We've got um, whole communities, HOAs and a ton of people that want to 
not, and there's all different reasons, right? Because there's, I've wrote a list of the top 10 reasons to grow food. They're all phenomenal. Like if any one of them is good enough. Mm. Some people are into preparedness. Some people are aware that the food supply chain is being systematically intentionally dismantled yep. around the world. And some people are really more into this idea of growing a food forest so they can inspire others to grow a food forest. And those are the ideas that I plant when I talk to everybody. I'm like, okay, so nobody is going to be safe if they're the only food forest in town and everybody else is starving, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you've got an army, which still, that's not safe. That's, no. that's not. So one of the things I like to inspire is, Share this idea with your neighbors. And, and it does not, it can, you can do it yourself if you want to. If you want to start with a little guild, one fruit tree and a guild, of which is a community of plants that support each other, we can show you how to do that. You can look online on YouTube and how, go, no, learn how to do that. Yeah. So my job is just to inspire the first step. And the first step for us is design. Design is job one. You know, imagine this. People have been putting, like millions of people around the world have been working at this for many, many decades, how to show how to design a functional food forest that mimics patterns found in nature, what plants go together, why they go together. Now, most of the customers I talk to, they don't want to learn anything about the scientific names of plants or any of those nitrogen fixtures, beneficial. They don't want to learn that stuff. In fact, when you start talking about that and expressing that here's something you have to learn, they're done. That's the end of it. They're like, sure, ah, yeah. Ah, yeah. I'm too busy. I understand that. I am too. That's why we do the design. We can start by designing your food force for you. It's like a blueprint. And I'll send you some of these so you can even yeah. post them if you want. Yeah. And that blueprint will show you what plants, where they go, why they go in certain locations around your house, and even point you in the direction on where to get mulch, where to get cardboard, how to find these plants in your area. Um, now, I also want to inspire this message. The food supply chain is in trouble. And the so the demand for fruit trees and these products is through the roof. Yeah. More gardens going in this year than ever in history. And the supply, of course, then is in big trouble. The costs are going up. So what the world needs is more people growing food and then grafting and then selling starts, yeah. selling seeds, selling so we can expand this rapidly. Within 10 to 15 years, I'm going to work myself out of a job. Mm. And I love it. Yeah, that's amazing. So taking a little step back, and you basically just described it, but, you know, I shouldn't assume sometimes I go into these just like going from my own mind, thinking about things I want to know, but I, you know, I forget that some people don't know about this stuff. And maybe you could just, you know, what is a food forest in and of itself? I mean, yeah. it's kind of self-explanatory. Well, I'll but... explain it from a perspective um, that I would have liked to have heard it explained 15 years ago, before I started understanding of all this, a food forest is a jungle strategically placed and designed according to your wishes and your goals and your vision 
that can look better than your current landscape by far. It can have colors, more birds, more butterflies. And you can walk outside and you've got food. If you're in Minnesota, it's maybe three, four months a year where you've got so much food that my buddy Perry in Minnesota, he said, Jim, I only went to the grocery store four times this whole summer for like the last five months. He said, thanks to your inspiration, I've been growing all sorts of food and he's healthier than he's ever been, right? This, the tools of enslavement, cancer, diabetes, Alzheimer's, all of these things are a reflection of what we put in our bodies and what we put in our minds. When you go stand outside in a food forest and eat fruit that is ripe, berries and turmeric, which is found to be better than chemotherapy for some types of cancer, like the list goes on and on and on and on and on. The Garden of Eden is not a utopic dream. It is the next logical step for humanity. Beautiful. Um, you know, and a lot of these plants that obviously people know, you know, fruit trees, but there's a lot of other plants that we can put in food forests that are, uh, you know, perennials. So they continue to come back every year, right? I mean, you can have annual yes. garden beds within them where you grow your tomatoes or whatever that you have to replant every year. But the idea with these food forests is a lot of it is about creating something that requires very minimal uh, you know, human interaction, right? Besides harvesting, I mean. Thank you for bringing that up. That's one of the biggest um, tenets of, of why is that it's easier than your current landscape, especially if you have a lawn. Like yeah. you have to mow a lawn once a week, once every two weeks at the, at the least, right? And a food forest, you might want to prune it. Put it this way. If you planted a food forest in your backyard and you left it for 30 years and you designed it right, you could come back 30 years later and you would just have a food jungle. It would be insane. Yeah. Right? If you want to increase the yield, you do things like maybe adding certain amendments at certain times of year until your worms and your different microbiome are really successful, which only that does take some time because it's a natural system. Um, you can prune your fruit trees. And that will put more yield, more energy into the creation of fruit. But we're talking about a lot less time than it takes to maintain a lawn. Yeah, and you actually get something from it. I was just, you know, I'm moving out into the country soon. I'm from kind of in the country. I'm living sort of near the city right now. And I'm just always uh, just, you know, completely dumbfounded by the entire lawn idea and the lawn concept. It's really just frustrating to me, and I just can't believe it's even a thing. I've heard you, um, you mentioned Dell earlier, and Dell is Dell Bigtree from the High Wire, and I can include a link to your interview from from that show because it was great, um, where you actually went through the process of kind of helping him put a food forest into their campus outside the High Wire, which was amazing, so people can kind of see firsthand what you do. But you mentioned on there something along the lines of, that lawns use more chemicals than even the farmland. Is that is that correct? I don't, so you said something like that. Yes. Okay. So there are forty, approximately forty million acres of lawn in the United States. Right. That's more than corn, wheat. That's more than all the fruit tree orchards put together. And there's more poisons and more resources used to maintain a monochromatic, no food producing lawn than than those other crops, more poison. 
that go into our waterway, that go into our kids' bodies, that go everywhere. And for those of you who don't understand that poisons don't just kill one thing, that is, that's really ignorant. It's not stupid, it's just ignorant. Learn, wake up to the fact that poisons are poisons. There's no scientist in this world that can understand and describe how a natural system, how this wor world works. You take all the best scientists in the world, they cannot and they have not figured out how it works. So when you say that you can add poisons to one thing that kills one group of things, that doesn't kill the other group of things, that's the foundation of ignorance. And most of what people are killing, they're unaware that a lot of it is actual useful, edible, like dandelions, for example. I mean, completely edible, useful plant. That's wonderful. I, you know, Incredible medicine. Dandelions are phenomenal pioneers. So what could a person who maybe, you know, has no clue what they're doing, doesn't know any the first thing about perennial plants or food forests, and they don't have the money to get a consult, and they don't have the time to to, uh, you know, study permaculture, like what could a really, you know, gateway simple thing that somebody could do, maybe something they could plant in their yard to, you know, get inspired or just like a first step towards, you know, yeah, breaking the seal on. <laughs> so um, start, okay, so what I would suggest is start with the design. Start with finding out, reaching out to us or reaching out to somebody else. Start with the design. We are awesome at this. Our team is phenomenal, worked all over the world, different zones and everything. So we can do a design for you. You can also go in and just study permaculture. But the most important thing is if, let's say you, you're on a tight budget, you can get seeds in the ground. Mm. You get seeds in the ground because you're going to have a failure, right? Especially if you don't design it right. But let's say you get a tomato at the store that you're going to eat take a bunch of seeds out, put on a napkin, cucumbers, all these different plants, and then start putting those seeds in the ground, watermelon, squash, you name it, and see what comes. It's magical what comes. Yeah. And so that's the, take the first step. Learn about growing food. Learn permaculture. Join the local groups on Facebook and everywhere else. And, and once you take that first step, it's a never-ending journey, and it's a joyful journey. And the cool, the cool thing about the seed idea is, you know, and I, I think I heard you mention this with Dell, and I, and I've learned this over the past year or so, and I find this to be just extremely fascinating, is that, you know, if you get a bunch of different seeds and toss them out in your yard or whatever, it's like, even if they don't, even if you don't have success with them coming up, it's like you're creating a seed bed, and there's always a seed bed, you know, in the soil. It could be plants that haven't existed in, you know, decades, but when the yep. conditions are right, the, you know, the moisture, the whatever, when the fertilizer, when the conditions are right, like certain seeds will germinate. And so you're yes. just kind of, you know, setting yourself up to have certain things that might come up, you know. It's absolutely magical. Like you take a handful of good soil and first of all, there's more organisms in that soil than there are people on the planet. Yeah. And there's seeds everywhere throughout that, that system. And it's, it's phenomenal. Nobody understands. All of a sudden, this, 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 and these pioneers, they're somehow programmed to pop up at a certain time 
to heal the soil. Dandelions are great for certain types of soil. Other plants, there's no such, weeds is a, is a big control word as well. Yeah. They're pioneers, right? And pioneers, some of them dig down into hard packed soil and create waterways and airways so nutrients can get in there. Um, and some are, a lot of them are meant to just cover the dirt because you don't want sun hitting the soil. You know, it's yeah. really magical when you look at it, how it all works. I love that message. And I think it can be uh, applied to even more than just plants and uh, the ecosystem. It can be applied to human behavior and, you know, mental illness and all of these things. It's like what we view as problems that need to be fixed or solved are usually uh, or maybe always appropriate reactions to some sort of environmental condition, whether it be like something that's happening in your life, your family, your upbringing, you know, something that's poisoning the environment. It's like, and nature has a way to respond in a way to try to heal. It's got a self-healing intelligence. It does. Um, and we oftentimes seem to recognize the self-healing intelligence as some sort of uh, thing gone wrong that we need to repair. You know, all these weeds, I need to kill them. It's like, those weeds are there to help you know, regenerate the soil and make way for the next thing that's going to arise, yeah. which might be, you know, some other type of plant that you actually would enjoy having in your, you know, in it, your yard. It's amazing. And, and that thought process has led me to this idea that this is a divine game. Because on one side, you've got the, the groups that are promoting and, and manufacturing death from all levels. I mean, the sky, the soil, the water. And then on the other side, you've got the Garden of Eden. Yeah. It's like we're in a big game of Mario, and that's the prize. It's just yeah. crazy. Yeah. And it also, by the way, that thought process helps me. I know for sure that we're spirits, so I'm not afraid of death at all. There's no mm -hmm. such thing as death. There's just leaving the avatar and maybe getting a new one. Who knows how that works? But, um, but that helps me to navigate sometimes because I do watch some videos once in a while about the – hardcore shit that's going on yeah. and i'm like okay that's interesting i'm gonna focus over here yeah yeah so how um you know how realistic is it for people to be able to grow i mean you mentioned your friend that said he only went to the grocery store a few times over the summer um you know how realistic is it for people to set up a permaculture system in like a regular yard like in a suburb you know in a lot that yeah, can feed them enough yeah. food to where they're not so dependent you know on yeah it's not only realistic it's completely logical um now it does take time that's the one thing when's the best time to plant a fruit tree 20 years ago <laughs> um but now is the second best right yeah, yeah. so uh, the annuals are going to annuals are plants that you plant and they have to be um, harvested and then you replant right and those are in a successful food forest for somebody who is into preparedness especially i would do sweet potatoes and a bunch of annuals sweet potatoes are the, one of the best prepper foods there are maybe even get a microgreen stand in my house mm -hmm. and then then as the fruit trees and berry bushes and all the perennials start to mature you can forego the annuals to, to some degree, unless you just love them, like a yeah. lot of people, unless you love being out there. But now you, you switch from the short term to the long term, and you're doing both of them at the same time. Mm. 
That's beautiful. And, and and so with that said, you can literally, I mean, and this has been demonstrated. There's a house in California on a tenth of an acre that provides all the food they need plus an income for their family. There's many of these demonstrators around the world, and we are inspiring more demonstrators. And if you're a demonstrator, get a hold of me at Food Forest Abundance. Join our network and show off. We want you to show off. We will highlight you showing off. We will show off your showing off. That's beautiful. <laughs> so you have, you know, that's something people can go on your website and get inspired. Like you have videos or do you have uh, blogs or what, are, what, where can people see the examples of people doing this stuff? So several places, um, foodforestabundance.com is ours on our own server because we understand that there are major, um, the amendments are getting trashed and there are freedom of speech is getting crushed. So we've got our own foodforestabundance.com and we have a newsletter, a vlog. I'm writing one today. It'll get out. Um, we also have a, uh, a, another post on the main social media platform, which we're probably going to be deplatformed from another one on the other one that we're probably going to be deplatformed from but they're there now so if you want to join us on some of these big social media um tools of enslavement but yet talking about freedom yeah please do and uh, and then but definitely migrate and get on to our mailing list at foodforestabundance.com wonderful yeah. so um you know i love what you're saying about how not not only is it realistic that people can grow most of the food that they need or all of it and more and extra, you know, um, on such a small amount of land. Um, you know, how... What am I trying to say here? Like, you know, you said it takes time. How much time does it take realistically? I mean, I know you can't... It's not the same for everyone, but... I mean, are we talking, you know, a few years before the, the, a system like that really kind of gets cooking or? Um, yeah, I mean, you, you're going to be cooking really well within a few years. Um, some of the plants, the berries are going to be within a year. You're going to be getting a pretty significant fruit. You're going to be getting a small amount of fruit. It depends on how big it was when you purchased it. If it's a fruit tree, if it was grafted and so on, you're going to be getting some stuff within 12 to 15 months. Um, of a decent size start, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, three, four, five, six feet tall, up to a 50 gallon that's seven or eight feet tall. You could be getting 10 or 20, but fruits, let's say peaches. But then within the years, when the microbiome starts working as it should, now you're going to get way more than you can eat. Yeah. And then, like my mom grew up on a farm in southern Minnesota, didn't even have electricity, had an outhouse till she was 15. They produced all the food they needed in Minnesota throughout uh, their farm in a kitchen garden mm -hmm. with chickens and everything else. And storing food is the next thing that we're going to be focusing on teaching. Dehydration is phenomenal. Canning is phenomenal. And so you can harvest such an abundance in a three-month period that you can get your friends together, start canning, and you can have food all winter long. How much is your planning, uh, you know, do you recommend or, you know, do you, is it involved in your planning at all to have any type of animals involved like chickens or anything like that? Permaculture, animals are part of every natural system. Mm -hmm. And that includes permaculture. Chickens are one of the best assets because they serve multiple functions. You know, they can even heat a room. They can provide down. They can provide feathers. They can provide friendship. They can provide security. 
I mean, chickens are phenomenal, let alone, of course, the meat and the eggs, right? Yeah. So, um, and, and, the, and the manure, uh, chickens can debug your food forest. They'll go in and pick up all the unwanted pests, right? They'll yeah. also shred your lettuce if you have <laughs> yeah. So you just have to know. That's why design is so important. Yeah. You know, you don't want 50 chickens in a 50-foot area for more than a couple hours. They'll just destroy it. Yeah. So... You know, they'll pick the lowest hanging fruit, which for them are going to be the bugs and some of the stuff. So, so yes, animals are a big part of the system. Joel Salatin is a phenomenal human being at showing how meat production can be done very ecologically and, and regeneratively, you know, using cattle and chickens and, and kind of this rotating system. Definitely. Um how common is it, you know, when people first get, is, is it something, you know, is the food forest something, I know the idea of it long term is to be very minimal, uh, you know, minimal amount of work put into uh, maintaining it, unless you want to try to, you know, really put that extra time into it yourself. But, you know, it's something that can function on its own, like a natural system. But when it's first getting started, uh, how common is it for people to maybe run into issues with certain new berry bushes dying or something getting eaten by an animal or whatever? Yeah. Is it is there a little more maintenance energy to in the first you know couple of years to kind of make sure everything gets established well? Or what's absolutely, that like? um, I'll give you an example at Golf Landing where we're doing this completely off grid um, community. Um, we when we first put in a bunch of different uh, food forests, yeah. the first couple months it was very dry. So we would go there twice a week. We would make sure that the root balls had water because these root balls come out of pots and they're, you know, all their um, roots are going in a circle, right? You put that down with some good soil. You put a good mulch on top, but you have to make sure if it's dry that they get water. That's the number one reason things fail. The second reason is there's no ground cover. You know, well, the second reason is probably you don't have good soil. And then the third reason is there's sure. no ground color. Yeah. So when you add just those three things, a lot of people go to the store, they'll get two or three fruit trees, they'll put them in the ground, and that's it. And they'll produce very poorly. Yeah. When you add just a few simple elements, you can radically increase the yield and the success rate. So when they're young is the most critical time to just make sure you observe them. Look at the leaves, the fruit trees, when you start looking at them for a few days in a row, you'll actually have an understanding of what the tree is going through. If the tree looks vibrant, it's vibrant. If the tree's leaves are all down, you need to get that root ball some water like now. And that's it. So how important, even, you know, let's say a person who's got even like I've got, uh, you know, a couple friends who maybe have a couple apple trees in their yard right now and they don't do anything with them. They don't give them any special attention uh, and they produce a decent amount of apples how important is it or how much can it just really you know change not only the amount that you get but the quality of the food to do things like mulch around the apple tree companion plant certain herbs and things that they like uh, you know how I you said some people tune out when they hear certain like nerdy plant things i find it just endlessly fascinating um and i've kind of looked into a little bit of that how how much can that help people really take their their fruit trees and their things to the next level yeah it, that's what i was referring to earlier when people just throw them in the ground it's the difference between sometimes life and death of the tree or 
just hanging on and thriving. Mm-hmm. Right? When you plant it right and you give the tree what it needs to produce, because like, pests don't, uh, they're not as apt to destroy or eat a tree that's healthy. Trees have their own immune system, their own strength. In fact, um, a lot of the plants out in the garden, when an insect is eating those leaves of the plants, the plant will let out a um, a pheromone. It's like a color signal that we can't see, but the wasp that's flying around there looks down in the garden and sees a certain signal. Then the wasp knows where to go get its prey. So your wasp and your spider and your lizard become your best friends in a garden. Yeah, so the idea with all of this stuff, again, is not about trying to take away the bad thing. It's try to keep to increase the abundance, the health, the diversity to the point where the system can self-correct and it can it can maintain itself, and you know it has the resources to you know uh, have its own solutions be able to function properly. Yeah, absolutely. It's diversity. It's it's. It's a natural system. It's mimicking a natural system. It's absolutely beautiful. And I just had this amazing realization. Huh. <laughs> What's that? Well, it, if you can I don't share know if it, I can convey it real well, um, but I'm going to share it. Sure. So, you know, I'm, I'm not a religious person at all. Religion has historically been a tool of enslavement. Mm. And there are so many programs that come through religion that it's. I don't necessarily know if I understand which one's a program in my own mind and which one's the truth, right? Because the half-truth is what these wicked bastards focus on in order to to push us a certain direction, right? But this idea, you know, this we are... We are a step above the animals, the apes, everything. We have a a different level of consciousness, significantly different than any other creature on this planet. Our job is to be stewards of this earth and to see how it's meant to be, whether you call that source or God, because that word conveys so much different meaning for every individual. But whatever it is that helped create this, we are the stewards of this. Mm. And how do we... How do we move forward? Simply by using the tools that have been given to us and observing and then adapting to that and designing the Garden of Eden for humanity. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's like we can essentially, it seems like we can act as an amplification tool or we we just sort of do as humans. We are amplifiers, you know. I'm going to use that. And so it's like we can amplify the the thing the natural system that's already there we can act as a way you know i i learned something recently that i don't know how they know this or how sure they are and i but i would love to know if you've heard of this because it really just blew my mind it seems like something that you would find interesting is um i um sorry no it's okay what's going on it won't quit ringing (laughs) It's okay. It's weird coming to a different... No worries. I'm going to... Okay. <laughs> I don't know why it's doing that. <laughs> there, it's done. Well, shit. Anyway. No worries. I'll just keep talking. Okay. Um, have you gotten into ancient civilizations much at all or alternative uh, history I'll... of ancient civilizations? A little bit, and I imagine getting into them more yeah, over time. Yeah, it's really interesting stuff, and... Um, I heard on a podcast that I dig called Earth Ancients, 
that apparently some people have done some studies on the Amazon rainforest, and they found this certain type of soil they call like pura uh, primavada, or I can't remember what they call it, but basically they've deduced that there's no, it's not a natural soil, that it was created by humans somehow and they don't know how and it's extremely nutrient dense and rich and it involves different things like burnt material and all of these different things but um they they're starting to believe that the amazon rainforest itself was largely human made or human influenced so the entire thing is like a giant food forest and that seems like right up your alley (laughs) It's exactly. I read the article. The article. Yes, I read that article. It's amazing, and it makes complete sense. I mean, there was all these cultures and communities living there, and they were connected. And somehow they got to a point. Now they all disappeared, right? I don't know how that all works, but yes, the Amazon rainforest, the most healthy, successful rainforest in the world, according to some, is a designed human settlement with. The humans now are not there, but that's what can happen, right? It's amazing. Absolutely Maybe they're vibrationed out of our perception. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that could be. I love that stuff. It's infinitely fascinating, the ancient civilizations and what kind of stuff they were into. But, um, Jim, I really love this conversation and everything that you're doing, um, and I appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with me today. Is there any other stuff that, you know, we didn't touch on that you really wanted to talk about or that, that you know, you wanted to, to get yeah. across to people? Yeah, I guess a couple of real, real quick things. One is um, we are looking for people to join this idea, this inspired idea. If you're anybody that wants to shine a light on it, if you want to be an installer, if you want to be a grower, if you want to be a designer of food for us for people, if you want to participate, if you're a teacher and you want to teach the kids, if you are at all inspired, then join us at foodforestabundance.com and let us know how you can join this idea or how we can join your idea. Mm. Like if you have an idea that needs that you know is valuable to the world, we'll join your idea. I mean, that's the thing. We work together and we change the world in no time. There's one thing more powerful than all of the armies of the world. And that is an idea whose time has come. Mm. That was, I think, Victor Hugo said that. How relevant is that? How are the armies of the world doing? We need something more powerful. And it's not violence and force. It's not control and fear. It's inspired ideas moving forward. And how inspiring would it be for somebody to see their neighbor have a a lush garden of food, you know, that's just permanently coming back every year? And, you know, to see that, I mean, I just have to imagine people, even the most, you know, hardcore yard enthusiast that's weed killing and having this perfectly manicured lawn would start to raise their eyebrows, you know, and think, what what are they doing over there? Like, this is interesting, you know? And at yes. least get curious, you know. Yes, they they feel drawn to it. I mean, you cannot not look at a butterfly or a cardinal, right? Yeah. I mean, if you see, you got to look at that. You, here's another thing I, that helps convey the message. You take a lawn, and you know you've got lawn that's that that thick, and then underneath that you have, relatively speaking, compared to a jungle, if you take the same square meter or square mile, whatever area that you choose, there's this much life. 
which is a biological desert, or there's a couple hundred feet of life, both down on the surface and above. So it's the lawn is the ultimate tool of enslavement. It's the foundation of the pain and suffering of our world. And when we change the lawn, we reverse mass extinction, deforestation, cancer, diabetes, heart disease, all of the negatives when we start taking responsibility and growing food regeneratively. That's such a powerful statement. Um, you know, I'm wondering if, if you've got a couple more minutes here. Yeah. I would love if you could just kind of like unpack what you just said a little bit about, you know, what is the lawn symbolize? Why to you is that such a main, you know, such a foundational symbol of what is the problem with our civilization yeah. right now? It's, it's everything that is destructive about this word pride, right? I'm very proud of some of the things I've done in life that were beneficial. And I love that. It feels good. Um, but sometimes when you feel pride is in a way where you're disconnected, well, that's the, the lawn came from um, these um, rich people in Europe. And, I, and by the way, I shouldn't say rich people because I don't want to condemn anybody who provides value in such a way that they earn a great living yeah. is my hero. I like learning from those people. But I'm talking about the slave masters of our time. They would stop their slaves from growing food. They would control the food supply. In fact, Henry Kissinger said, if you want to control nations, control oil. If you want to control people, control food. Mm. And so they would have slaves on their hands and knees cutting their lawn as a symbol of their, of their, of their power, right? That is just wicked. It's destructive. It's, it's just a wicked way to think. And so the resource of the lawn, the 40 million acres, that is the lowest hanging fruit. That's all we need to do. We don't need to do anything else. If that's all we do, we completely change the world. We don't need Beyond Meat or we don't need <laughs> giant, uh, you know, acres and, you know, millions of acres of soy and GMO corn to this whole idea about feeding the world that requires these massive, you know, corporate industrial chemical yeah. egg. It's just completely unnecessary. All of the land that we have as just regular people with lawns, if everybody, I mean, it wouldn't even take everybody. I'm sure if 30%. a small 30%, man, I'm just, I love what you're doing. I just, it's so inspiring to me. I can't wait. I'm moving here soon, so I can't start. Yeah, go ahead. What do you got? There's one. Thank you, Jacob. I'm so, I love this interview. You've done such an awesome job <laughs> just you. bringing out things in me that I haven't all put together in the same time before. Their other thought is um, this, oh, this idea of population control. Yeah. This is based in freaking radical ignorance. Um, I think it was Greg Mortensen who wrote a book called Three Cups of Tea. And in this book, he went into the Afghanistan and talked to the mullahs and these community leaders and said, I will build schools for the girl, the women, the young women and girls in your communities. Some of them almost shot him. So he almost died because they didn't want that. Others said, you know what? He, he sold them. He inspired them on this idea. And we found out in many different cultures, in many different cases, including that one, when we educate the young women, then they will have two to three kids, 
four kids. Mm-hmm. And an uneducated young woman is going to average many more kids than that. So first of all, this whole idea that population needs to be seven or eight or 10 million is wrong because we could have 20, 30, 40 mil- billion people if we grew food locally and regeneratively. Mm-hmm. So that's a complete lie on every level. The, uh, you know, between the number and the fact that is all we need to do is just educate the young women. Yeah. And, the, the, you know, that brings me to the idea of, um, and I'd love to know, I'm sure you're interested in this, it, it would just only make sense, but um, not only, you know, if we're, you, you know, we can do housing so much differently. I mean, I don't know how familiar you are with earthships and, you know, that sort of you know, and I just think about this idea of, like you said, population control and these ideas about food. We got to get rid of meat or we have to do all of these wacky things with, you know, genetically engineered so-and-so and this and that. It's like if we're do if, if we radically change the way we build houses to be to work with the earth, to be heated by the earth and cooled by the earth and, you know we lived in community with the people we love where we're sharing land with the people we love and we have little footpaths to each other's earth ships and we have a community food forest and all of these things. It's like, it's going to be a joy to have all these extra people. And it's going to be, you know, this garden of Eden that you're talking about that we can share together. We don't have to try to control and stop people from having kids and, you know, try to control the food supply and all of these things. So the next 2,000 years is going to be incredible. Many people aren't going to make it through the next five years because they're going to be stuck in this energy of rage and fear and shame, and they're going to die. Mm. And and they're just when I say die, they're going to leave their avatars, right? They're going to leave this body, and they're going to go on to, oh shit, I played that game wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and but the rest of us, the ones who are focused forward, focused on the joy, we have really. It's the only choice choice that's apparent to me as far as how to move forward. Let's focus on spreading inspired, regenerative, loving solutions to the world. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. Uh, well, thank you again. I really appreciate everything. I'm going to include all the links to your website and everything in the in the show notes. And um, yeah, I just want to thank you for the work you're doing. I feel like it's the most important work out there right now, really, like, uh, along with emotional healing, I think, which is also a very important mission, I think, anybody who's working with, because a lot of what I think keeps us stuck in these destructive spots is just like our own personal self-image, like our self-hatred and wounds that we carry from childhood. So I think the emotional healing and the the food sovereignty and connection with nature, it all ties together. It's all hand in hand and it's kind of one and the same. So, um, yeah, just two thoughts on that that have been absolutely amazing. Dr. Joe Dispenza and Abraham Hicks, um, are the law of attraction phenomenal. So sorry to interrupt. No, no, I, I I totally agree. Joe Dispenza is a huge, uh, he, he's been, I love, I've enjoyed Abraham Hicks as well, but Joe Dispenza in particular, I've really taken in a lot of his work, and I would love to talk to him someday. Um, he's doing yeah. some great stuff. So, yeah, I really appreciate any any little last, last message you want to get out there before we kind of wrap things up. Man, Jacob, I'm inspired, and thank you. I'm ready to roll. I'm ready to roll. <laughs>